Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners. Today we're talking about mental health and addiction. So don't skip this one. Don't keep scrolling. Don't skip to the next show. I know that it's uncomfortable subject matter, right? We don't like to talk about this stuff, but it's important that we do. And early in this episode, I take a quiz. It's National Depression Screening Day, a quiz live on the show. And honestly, if I would have known the results, I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad I did. And then we're going to talk about gambling. Why are we as Albertans cool with funding social programs on the backs of gambling addicts? This is Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Real Talkers, we want to welcome you to this episode. It's Jespo here with John Hicks, riding the controls, technical producer of this show. In just a second, we're going to check in with uh, uh, Sarah Rosenfeld from the Calgary Counseling Center. A little bit later on, we're talking to the editor of Alberta Views magazine, Evan Ossington, and um, a gal who's in, uh, in recovery for gambling. And uh, Andre Busanius is, is going to be showing up to tell us her very personal story. This, this day is real talk. Essentially... To cut to the chase today, we're asking, are we depressed and do we have a problem with gambling? So this is this is real talk. This is about stuff that people don't talk enough about. And for obvious reasons, a lot of people don't want to talk about this stuff. It's uncomfortable. It forces us into zones where we have to reckon with our own in some circumstances, behavior, what we're wagering on things, how we're maybe gambling with borrowed money, how we're spending time away from our families, how we're lying to people. And then on the mental health front. How maybe sometimes we just don't take care of ourselves. Maybe don't take five minutes to do a quiz, and it can be a private, quiet quiz every once in a while, to ask ourselves if we are, in fact, okay. So that's where we're going today. We'll also talk a little bit about what's happened in the news cycle. Obviously, big news out of Manitoba, the NDP forming a majority government. Wab Canoe, the former journalist, uh, the former re- reporter, storyteller, now the premier of Manitoba with a majority mandate and that PC campaign that we talked about, the whole like vote like nobody's watching, the whole stand firm against digging up landfills thing, absolutely blew up in their face and, and really... I don't think that you can even debate this, marred the reputation of that brand, the PC brand in Manitoba. Political brands can rise again out of the muck, but all anybody's talking about right now is how poor of a campaign the PCs ran, and they paid for it when the results came in. All of that to come on this episode of Real Talk, which is presented by Business Career College. Are you looking for a rewarding and high-paying career without a university degree? You're not necessarily looking to go back to school. You don't have four years. you got to get to something now, and you're looking for a salary that can support you, your family. Well, get started as an insurance professional with Business Career College. In Canada, insurance agents are starting around fifty-five grand a year. They can quickly rise to just about 90000 and all you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance, property and casualty insurance, and their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career. The best part about this, right now, there's a special incentive for Real Talkers. For a limited time, you can save 15% on any Business Career College insurance course with the code REALTALK, all one word. Get started today with the promo code REALTALK at Business Career College. 
So the results came in, uh, everybody across the country talking about what happened in Manitoba. Obviously, you'll remember the PCs had had a stronghold on that government. That party had governed for quite some time. You had Brian Pallister, you had Heather Stephenson, who was hoping to achieve re-election, but the polls were showing that the PCs were trying to dig their way out of a hole for quite some time. And they tried some unusual campaign strategies. And you know about that if you regularly tune into this show. Strategies where people looked and sniffed out or couldn't ignore so-called American tactics. The us versus them. The nastiness. The getting down into it. The, hey, your friends might not love. Your family may not love the feel or the vibe of some of the policies that we're putting out there. But if they resonate with you then you go ahead and vote. Uh, for those that are watching on YouTube, we're showing you this is a physical newspaper ad. It ran full page color uh, from the PCs. It says, you know, you're in the voting booth alone. Vote like nobody's watching because no one is. I mean, the whole vibe of that, doesn't the whole vibe of that just stink? Like as parents, as grandparents, what do you tell the little ones that you're looking out for? If anybody ever comes up to you and tells you to keep a secret, that something can just be between you and them, that we, your family, your friends, don't ever have to find out. What do we teach kids about that message? That there's alarm bells and there's red flags everywhere. And the vibe, quite frankly, is, well, it's abhorrent. It's disgusting. And the voters of Manitoba saw that. And so, with a strong mandate, they sent Wab Canoe to the Premier's office. The NDP forming a majority there, which is interesting on a number of fronts, I think most particularly because it sends kind of an interesting message to the rest of Canada about where progressive politics is at, right? There was that block for quite some time in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, these conservative governments that were looking to create big, huge headaches for the prime minister. And they did for a long time. Everybody remembers that McLean's magazine cover with all the premiers, Scott Moe and Jason Kenney and Brian Pallister and Doug Ford looking oh so serious, what did they call that? I think they called it the rebels or something like that. It was sort of essentially alluding to this power block of conservative premiers in Western and Central Canada. You get an NDP majority in Manitoba, and what does it say? Does it infuse energy into progressive politics elsewhere in the country? I mean, folks in BC looking at this going, well, that's kind of interesting. Seeing kindred spirits with Manitoba to a certain degree? Maybe. It remains to be seen. You know, the the PCs piled on Wab Canoe's track record, right? We know that early in his life, he experienced some things that well, might be tough sells politically, but that campaign got out ahead of it. Charles Adler and I talked about that on, on Monday of this week, right? And then you, you've got people wondering, well, well can Wab Canoe do this with a, with a controversial history and, and, a, and a history of, of domestic violence and, and other allegations? Is he the appropriate person to lead this province, can he keep a political party together and take it to the promised land, take it to form government? He did. Now, a lot of people are crediting Wab Canoe with becoming the first uh, First Nations premier in the country. It should be noted that that's not accurate, that Richard Narisu, back in, in the early 1980s, 83, 84, the first Indigenous premier of Northwest Territories, he was the first in Canada, and he deserves that recognition. But still... A huge victory for Wab Canoe, a huge victory for the NDP in Manitoba, and a huge victory for Indigenous people. I think, in particular, young Indigenous people across the country 
that see somebody like Wab Canoe set a personal goal for themselves, aspire toward a career in politics. He's not been doing it that long, by the way, and ultimately rise to the office of premier. You can let us know what you think about that story. It's obviously one that people are going to be talking about. I mean, he gives his acceptance speech, his victory speech, obviously hasn't yet sworn in, named a cabinet, let alone governed. But it does create an interesting dynamic uh, for politics in particular on the prairies. And it's something that we'll be talking about in the weeks, months, and you can fairly say the years to come. I remember that magazine covered The Resistance. The Resistance, that's what it was. was. Thanks for grabbing that, Johnny. Yeah, there it is. So, yeah, a powerful alliance, it reads, of conservative leaders is taking a stand against the Liberals' carbon tax plan. Welcome to Justin Trudeau's worst nightmare it says, and I should have given Andrew Shear credit. He's in that photo as well. So Ford, Pallister, Shear, Kenny, and Moe. Uh, you look at that, Pallister gone, Shear gone, Kenny gone. Moe's still there, and, and Ford uh, in a, a world of hurt uh, this, right now. This looks like an ad for, like, Goodfellas or something. Though. It does. I mean, <laughs> I actually like thought a- <laughs> it's, a, it's a brilliant cover. Yeah. I love the cover, yeah. you know, and I, and I thought that they did a really good job with the design mm. of that. That was a Paul Wells piece. Um, you know, there's rumblings that Doug Ford, this whole Greenbelt thing, uh, you know, and, and this is something we'll be talking about further as the story develops. But, you know, he's he's walked back the Greenbelt plan, mm-hmm. basically stared into a camera about a week ago and said to Ontarians, I told you I wasn't going to develop the Greenbelt. And then we tried to. He basically said, mm-hmm. like, I lied without saying I lied. And so now this government's walking this back. But. There's word on the street, and I have to be clear that, that the, these are allegations and rumblings and rumors, and so we treat them with, with different gloves, and we only go so far in throwing out some of the speculation that we're hearing for public consumption, but the rumor is this isn't even close to done. Uh, the rumor is, is that there's police investigations happening People are squealing to keep themselves out of trouble. The rumor is, is that come spring, Doug Ford might not be the premier of Ontario anymore, and his problems might not just end there. So that's a story we're keeping an eye on as well. Now, does that have anything to do with Justin Trudeau? I don't know. Does it have anything to do with Pierre Poliev? It may, because typically, for whatever reason, If you look at the makeup of how Ontario politics work out, typically, and there are exceptions, but Ontario will send, you know, or or manifest a certain federal political party and then flip it around provincially. Yeah. So you'll have a conservative prime minister. You'll have a liberal premier of Ontario. Mm -hmm. You'll have a conservative premier of Ontario. You'll have a liberal prime minister. There's not a formula to follow, and it doesn't always work out that way. But were Doug Ford to falter, Mm -hmm. uh, were the Ontario conservatives to lose government next election around, or at least lose the public trust, lose the public confidence, the main question is, could huge political and maybe legal troubles for Doug Ford translate into electoral problems or public support problems for the federal conservative leader, Pierre Polyev. Those are questions we'll ask and, and, and some of the musings that we'll get into in shows to come. Today is National Depression Screening Day. Let's be honest. This is something we don't talk much about, right? I mean, more and more people are willing, I guess, to talk about their mental health. I see those people as champions. We know that at least, and we'll fact check this stat, I bet it's higher, but at least one in five Canadians are living with a mental health challenge. 
So why isn't it part of our daily discussion? Why don't we talk about our mental health injuries just like we talk about our bum knees or our bad shoulders? I'm grateful that Sarah Rosenfeld has agreed to join us today from the Calgary Counseling Center. You know, they're dedicating an entire week to National Depression Screening Day. You can read all about it at calgarycounseling.com. Sarah, welcome to the show, and, and thanks so much for making time for us this morning. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much for making time for this, this important conversation. Why don't we talk about depression? Why don't we talk about our mental health? It's a tough thing to talk about. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult for people to be in touch enough with themselves to be able to talk about their struggles. Uh, it's usually when people are going through difficult challenge or time. So that's a hard thing to open up, uh, and have dialogue around. So I think the more, as you say, we can have role models that help us realize that this is part of the conversation for most people, the better off we all are. Yeah. Is is stigma around mental health challenges, mental illness, the, the same as it was 30 years ago? Are we making any progress on that front, do you think? I think as more people in positions of authority, influence come forward and normalize that these things happen to everybody from all walks of life, I think we'll start to see movement. And I do think we are seeing movement. There is much more dialogue. Schools are much more able to support students that struggle, workplaces, those kinds of things have changed, but there still is, unfortunately, stigma around it. So for most people, like, we'll, like I can, I, I, I've said this before to friends, or, or you're talking and someone will say, like, I'm, uh, someone might say, I'm depressed. Some might, mm. might say, I'm feeling depressed. Um, someone may say, I've been diagnosed with depression. Like, these are all different levels, Right. Some people, you know, some people may just feel that something's different. You feel like there's a, I I mean, I I don't mean to insult everybody and oversimplify this, but for some people it, you know, I think of, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the cartoon, like, you know, the Snoopy series with Charlie Brown and like the the one guy that's walking around with the cloud over his head all the time. You know, for some people, it just feels like that. Right. But for other people, they know for a fact that it's a diagnosed mental health challenge or mental illness. Their doctor has told them as much. They're taking medication. They're going to therapy. There's, there's like kind of the journey, right? Yeah, and it's a continuum, like most things. Some people might be experiencing a transition that's led to some symptoms of them feeling blue or sad or lonely. Other people might have been dealing with a chronic condition for a much longer period of time that started earlier on in their life, and then they sought treatment, got more structured professional support around it. Um, And these things can happen to people at different times. So You know, we go through periods where even if you have a diagnosed condition that you're being treated for, you're taking medication for, it will ebb and flow depending on what's happening in your life, depending on circumstance, situation, stressors. Um, I think it's just about us having a temperature check around how we're doing more regularly so that if there is something that we can address at a more, at an infancy stage, I would say, at at a, a smaller level where it's not as full-blown that we get the help and support that we need at that point in time that we don't try to manage on our own because you don't have to we're we're having uh, an interesting show sarah we didn't plan this this way it's it's just the way that our that our week is playing out but we're talking to you about depression and then we're going to be talking to uh, a gambler in recovery after this and 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 i do think that there are some 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 uh, you know segues here. I do think that you know these sort of stories parlay into into one another. No pun intended. That was unintentional. Um, but uh, but you look at people's coping mechanisms, and and I bet you 
and you probably see this all the time in your line of work at the Calgary Counseling Center, a lot of people that are coping right now with depression that don't even realize that's what they're doing. Exactly. I think that's really well said, actually. Um, we can develop strategies that we think are super helpful, and those are actually things that might be fueling the low mood and low affect or the withdrawal that we're having with people that we normally connect with. Um, and we're doing the best we can. I mean, I, I just want to put that out there. Everybody is doing the best that they can, managing what they know how to manage with the tools that they have available to them. And so gambling is one of those things that, yeah, you, you might feel like you're in control of it or it's helping with other things that you're trying to manage in your life, but that can get out of control as well. And I'm glad that you're talking to somebody that's been through that, that can talk to your audience about that and how to navigate that and how to be open and have dialogue around it. Yeah. And I think, and, and I'm expecting she'll say, you know, she'll talk to us. I know she did an, a, a, an amazing interview in Alberta views magazine, and this is what we're going to talk about, but you know, she talks about what, what it was like for her family. Like, you know, sitting around the family dinner table and and have keeping everything concealed. Nobody knew that financially she was in a world of hurt. Uh, nobody knew that to a certain degree they were being victimized financially uh, without their knowledge. It's a bit feels like a bit more of a personal journey on the mental health front. Um, I, I've heard so many people, and this is just anecdotal conversation, even with friends of mine that have said that in some circumstances they've kept their mental health challenges, their own internal battles, internal, uh, because they didn't want to come across as a burden on somebody else. So they, did, they didn't want to, like, can I say, kill the vibe. They didn't want to, you know, have somebody feeling they, they had to have sympathy for them. It's like there's this human tendency maybe. I mean, you're the counselor, not me. Is there a human tendency where we're, 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 reddit, we're hesitant to, to, to unload or share our burdens with other people? It's the vulnerability piece. When you actually really share what's going on, you're exposing yourself and you're worried how that's going to be received. Is it going to be accepted? Is it going to be rejected? So a lot of people keep that close at close to them because they're uncertain of how that's going to be received. So being able to openly really engage and discuss in these things takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of willingness to feel that discomfort of, I don't know where this is going to land but I think it's worth taking that risk. I think it's worth reaching out. I think I trust this person enough that they'll be able to hear what I'm saying and, and act, actively listen to what I'm saying. Sarah maybe Rose offer something. Sorry, step on your toes there, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> Sarah Rosenfeld is our guest uh, in our live chat right now. Noob try again is the handle watching us on YouTube says, find me a person that isn't currently or has never experienced a mental health struggle. And I'll show you a liar. <laughs> they say, if people are honest, everybody struggles with something. Sometime, everybody can use help. Uh, for the benefit of our podcast listeners, you are nodding about as enthusiastically as you can. Absolutely. I think we have to normalize that. We're all going through something. And the more that we can talk about that and connect, the less we feel isolated, the less we feel alone, the more we can leverage what other people have experienced, learn from them, develop coping strategies, develop skills. It's about building a community. And you talked about that earlier. You said that so many people deal with these things alone and they think that, you know, they can manage it on their own. Those things, especially in families, impact everybody around you. As much as you're trying to contain it and it's out of respect for them and, and I totally fully appreciate that, it's important that family is part of this. Your community is part of this. They can support, they can help. So I, I really like what you're 
you were saying there, we all do have challenges. Yeah, I'm going to jump back into the chat uh, in just a second with you, Sarah, because they're folks like this is weird. We have a we have kind of the weirdest chat on the Internet because for the most part, everybody's positive and supportive and cares about each other, which I don't I don't really know what what we're doing differently. Um, but I absolutely love it. And so people are doing like mental health wellness checks on each other in the live chat right now and sharing their personal experiences. And my cup is overflowing, if I can say it. Um, but I want to put this out there. Today actually is like October 5th is National Depression Screening Day. But the Calgary Counseling Center, you're offering support. So you're basically you and your team shining a spotlight on this for the entire week. Uh, people just go to areyoufeelingokay.com. And we're going to put that in the show notes so people can find it and easily link to it. But it, it's basically, well, take us through this. It's like a five-minute quiz so you can check in on your own mental health, right? Exactly. You can do it in the privacy of your home. You can do it on your phone. It's really easy. And then it kind of will give you some idea about where you can go for help if you need it. Or if you're just managing with you know some mild symptoms. But it's going to give you a bit of a roadmap about what you do and what the next steps are. Huh. I'm clicking through here and, and trying to keep it as honest as I can. So I, I'll, I'll throw it out there. This show, we call it Real Talk. So let me feeling no interest in things. Not really. But that's that's just me. Feelings of worthlessness. I don't know. Sometimes doesn't everybody feel that thoughts about suicide? Lucky no, not for me right now. Difficulty concentrating all of the time. OK, so let's see. I'm doing this live. Is this OK? Should I be doing this? Is this Absolutely. a mistake? OK, I'm doing it live. I'm a 46 year old male. Uh, I'm married. I heard about this test from the Calgary Counseling Center. And I live in Canada. Let's see what it gives me. Oh, I shouldn't do my postal code in front of everybody, but that's no big deal. All right, here we go. I scored 9 to 16. Symptoms consistent with a major depressive episode. Presence of a major depressive order disorder is possible. This is real talk, Sarah, right now. A complete evaluation is recommended. So what is, I answered these questions honestly. So what does somebody, And but I answered no. I answered none of, no and none of the time to thoughts of suicide. Um, okay. So that, but still look at this, my system's consistent with a major depressive episode, which I didn't expect, or I wouldn't have done it live on the show, but here we are. So what does somebody, (laughs) so what does somebody like me do now? So now it's about getting connected with resources. So you might actually need to be speaking to somebody that can walk you through this. It might be helpful to get some counseling to start. You might need an assessment to see if there's further, things that are intervening with your ability to be fully engaged in your life, but it's a starting point and it's a conversation. So you can reach out to our services. You can reach out to your family physician. You can speak to friends that maybe have gone through this. It's going to start a conversation, Ryan, about where you go from here. And I think it took a lot of courage for you to do that. Uh, And I think that's probably one of the reasons your audience is so responsive because you're really having the real conversations with your audience. Well, we promise to do that. And, and, um, and, and we, we try to bring, uh, we do bring our real selves to the table. Like sometimes it blows up in our face. Um, and, and sometimes we'll get an email from somebody and Sarah, this might be like three years from now. We'll get an email from somebody that says that episode with, with your guest Rosenfeld maybe changed or saved my life, you know, and that's why we have these conversations. Um, I want to credit you and your team at the Calgary Counseling Center, because you also like this is something, um, as we mentioned, or, you know, this is something that you're committing basically your, your resources to this week. Um, 
when when you look at the general population, do you have like I've seen people in the live chat saying that they believe that you know mental health conversations resources are on the uptick. They think that that there are more supports. Like for, from a holistic or, or or general perspective, you don't have to get too political or anything like that. How are we doing? Like as a society, when it comes to the the resources available and the supports for people that need them. For some folks, this is a matter day to day of life and death. Absolutely, and I do think as more people are talking about it, we need more resources to be able to meet people on that continuum that you talked about. And so I think we're trying to adapt as a society. And I think COVID had something to do with this as well. I think people going through things and being isolated helped them realize for the first time maybe that they had something that they needed to talk to somebody about. So I think societally there has been a shift. I think it's always a moving target, to be honest. I think we're always trying to adjust and adapt and, you know, in the position that I'm in, I always think we could be doing a better job. I don't think we're doing a bad job, but I'm always looking to improve, to have more people feel like they can be part of the conversation, more people access resources, more people access supports. You know, if we get to a point where there is no stigma, I think we've, you know, I don't know if that day will come, but hopefully we'll get to a point where more of these conversations can happen openly, honestly, and that people can access help. Sarah, can I, uh, b- before we thank you for your time, I, I want to just, I, I want to run through our live chat. I'm just going to read some comments at random. We don't have time to read all of them. Maybe I'll read like three or four or five. And then you just pick one to respond or pick, let us know what jumps out at you. Okay. Um, I want to make sure like the, these, these comments, these contributions are so important. I want the podcast listeners to hear them too. Um, Tracy says, uh, Tracy's a counselor, I believe says my colleagues have pinpointed a few causes, social media, high inflation, high cost of living, the burden of learning new technologies and an extreme need for evolving skills. Training says new business models are causing stress and depression for both employers and workers. Shalane, uh, says students, mental health is so important to educators because of more awareness, research and training, um, says, you know, then you see something like the 1 million March for kids. That was a setback. For schools and students, um, Tony, uh, she says, I know that I've been having a, a hard time coping post pandemic, but I have a lot of support from family and friends, which is awesome. Alberta girl says there is a, the, the stigma of health issues is widespread, you know, like like says people with cancer suddenly don't hear from certain friends like it's contagious or something like that. Linda says, I remember shame about mental health issues as a preteen uh a teen around us, someone we knew was killed in a motorcycle accident shortly after his mom withdrew and it was whispered that she had had a quote nervous breakdown. MA says, so Ryan, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're saying a couple things here. I think you're right. There's this contagious piece that people think, you know, if I talk about it, it's going to happen to me. And that's not the case, right? Uh, we're all going through our own things, but we can support people that are going through different things than we are. The other thing I want to speak about is the acceleration of change. I think that comment is incredibly uh, important one. The, the quicker things evolve and transition, it's harder for us to adapt and change. And that's happening with much more frequency now because of the things your, your viewer talked about. Hmm. Social media, things are changing really rapidly. We just learn one thing and we have to adapt. So this is really affecting our ability to digest information, to feel like you know we've got a baseline because there's so much happening, so much coming at us. And so we got to develop skills and strategies to be able to manage that because that's likely not going to change. 
I'm so grateful that you made time to talk to us today. I know we've got, we, we asked you to stick with us. Of course, most folks will watch this later, but we do this live and you've got uh, commitments to get to. And so do we, but I, I just really appreciate your willingness to talk about this. We've had this day circled on the calendar to talk to you, Sarah, for quite some time. Again, are you feeling okay.com? Uh, is the website today, October 5th. If you're li- it doesn't matter if you're listening today or a year from now or 10 years from now. Um, it's worth the five minutes to check out how you're feeling, to check in with your mental health. Sarah Rosenfeld has been joining us uh, from the Calgary Counseling Center. Sure, appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah, you as well. Uh, more in the live chat. This is I, I just so appreciate people sharing this. You know, Plain Power says everybody needs community and resources to maintain sanity. Friendships just aren't enough. Yeah. Sharon says grief is the worst when you don't have proper supports around you. I still struggle most, day, most days. Love to you, Sharon. You know, you know, also, Johnny, is like, I think like the idea of, of nothing I'm saying here is profound, but getting professional help, trained counselors, talking to somebody who understands it is important. It's, it's important to have support circles, family and friends, but a lot mm-hmm. of times the person that's willing to be there for you also may not have the answers mm-hmm. or may not have the right advice. They're there to provide unconditional love and support, but talking to a professional is so important for people too. I've, I've been in that situation before personally where you, you think, you know, giving support, giving love, being caring, tenderness, and all this can turn someone's depression around. And it's really a lot more complicated that than that it's not just you know asking someone how they're doing and giving them a hug like you need to really and i i'm at fault for this too i have lots of stuff that i haven't delved into i haven't dealt with man and you don't think it's there and it is it's it's in the back of your mind it's it's and it creeps up at the worst times and it affects parts of your life and you don't even realize it until it's too late so and a lot of that stuff when you go into counseling uh, if you've ever been it comes up so fast oh, with, with with simple questions. Why do you think you felt like that? What 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 triggered you to think about that? And then all of a sudden you realize it's something small or significant that you buried away, that you just didn't deal with, that you pushed down, that you thought wasn't affecting your daily life. Right? Yeah, so. 100 um, percent. I uh, yeah, I do speak with a counselor. This is reminding me that I need to book my next appointment with her because it's something where we don't we don't. Look after our mental health. Some of you are listening right now and you're going, yes, I do. Speak for yourself. That's great. You're doing better than the rest of us. But to me, I don't know if you're like me. It's like it's something that you'll put off. It's, it's, it's like one of the first things that you'll put off if there's other things that are demanding your attention. Um, it's something that I personally, to be honest, don't prioritize. I personally, speaking on behalf of myself, do not prioritize my personal health and wellness. And I need to. And... My wife will look at me and say, we want you around for a long time. We need you to prioritize your personal health and wellness. So take five minutes for yourself today. Five minutes. No, it took, I did it live on the show. It, doesn't, it takes one minute. It was really quick. It was well, the, one minute. The other thing I'll say is, is it, it's expensive. Like, I mean, we need more. Absolutely. We need more mental health supports that are affordable. And as well, we need, you know, provinces and government across Canada, other countries as well. But just finding ways to give people deals and and i know online therapy is a big one that that can cut your costs a lot it, yeah. can, it can be almost half when you see someone online but it, therapy can be very expensive most totally people right. can if they if they 
if they can't afford it, can only afford it once a month when, you know, I think we should be talking to someone once a week about stuff, right? Totally. Uh, we know we have an audience across the country. We know we have uh, m- many of you join us, you know, from, from your homes in rural parts of the country uh, or internationally. But for those that are listening from Calgary or Edmonton, uh, we'll let you know that at calgarycounseling.com, you can find uh, more information on them. And they're, they're proud to provide, uh, you know, affordable counseling services, so to speak. They do have financial supports there. And then there's also Momentum Counseling in Edmonton at MomentumCounseling.org. Um, this was uh, founded initially by Kim Canall, who you've heard on the show before talking about mental health. Uh, and you can learn more about booking an appointment. You can learn more about donating as well. Uh, Momentum Counseling offering mental health supports for people that are encountering financial barriers. Um, we appreciate you being part of this conversation, Real Talkers, and you can let us know what you think about it by sending us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, in, in just a second, we're going to be talking to the uh, editor of Alberta Views magazine, as well as uh, a gambler in recovery, an incredibly courageous human, is Andre Basanius. She's told her story to Alberta Views. She's going to tell it to us as well. You know, gambling rates uh, in Canada are very high. In Alberta, they're the highest in the country. And I really? know that they're the highest in I the country. I didn't know that. We have the highest number of casinos. The highest number of VLTs, highest sports government betting, revenues, sports betting. Wow. We have the high, like some of the stats that we'll get into in the conversation will blow your mind. No wonder people are so vocal about that in Alberta. I feel like people in Alberta, especially, are like I see during the Oilers games. People in Alberta are tweeting, "Hey, take these ads off. We don't need to see this stuff like that." So. Yeah, I want to. I'm. I want to hear. Uh, let me let. Here's for, for real talkers. Here's how I. I know am, we've had. This here's how I envision before. this going. Yeah. I want us to have the conversation with these two experts mm-hmm. or one expert and, and, and the journalists who speak into the experts. And then I want you and me to ch- hash this out with the live chat okay. after. And let's see if our opinions change. Because you and I have some fun with this. I'm in, yeah. I'm in, I'm in hockey pools. I'm like, Same. I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I haven't table. in a while. But... Why is everything I'm saying today gambling metaphors? <laughs> Parlay <laughs> this, gamble, you know, cards on the table. And I want to hear from our guests, but I have noticed one thing. It's gotten easier funner and more addictive like with the apps and everything especially for sports betting it's so easy to bet a dollar here a dollar here and And then put a hundred and then all of a sudden it's a thousand and it's just it's very it's almost like a game on your phone changes are coming now and probably i mean if you're in if you're in the entertainment business or if you're in the bar and restaurant hospitality business you may like these changes uh, if you're in like recovery or helping people with addiction, like gambling addiction in particular, you will not love these changes. Changes are coming that are going to make it easier and easier and easier for 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 live event betting. So mm. if you're out with your friends at the pub having beers, watching the game on TV, and you want to wager quickly on a tabletop tablet, yeah. quickly is the field goal going to count or not? Quickly is the coin flip heads or tails? Boom gamble boom bet boom easy 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 the live betting is very right and it's lucrative obviously and we'll get into this with our experts the catch 22 on this as well is that government revenues are looking very rosy Mm. but at whose expense right so that's where we're going to go next Uh, these conversations are presented by real talk sponsors who believe in the value of talking about the things that matter, and that includes the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. These are family-owned Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Today, I want to talk to you about the sauced and tossed honey garlic chicken strip basket 
there's chicken, and then there's DQ honey garlic sauced and tossed chicken strips. They've got this special saucing technique, which means mouth-watering goodness in every single bite. A deliciously satisfying way to appease your honey garlic craving. You can ask for it by name, the sauced and tossed honey garlic chicken strip basket at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers, proudly Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Friesen Brothers right now is offering their Thanksgiving dinner box. It is none of the work and all of the praise. This is what our family has done for the past several years as we've proudly hosted friends and family at our house. And guess what I have not been doing, Johnny? Sweating over the oven. I was just going to say slaving away. (laughs) Worrying about (laughs) drying out the turkey, screwing up the stuffing. Uh Uh-uh. They've basically made an opportunity for you to have Thanksgiving be truly special. Spending your quality time with family and friends. You just pop this in the oven. It's already prepared. You heat it up and you serve it. It's that simple. You can order online at cateringbyfreezen.com or you can order in-store and get this per four people. So you can order one for four people or you order 10 of them for 40 people. It's 15 bucks a person. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculously reasonable. As a matter of fact, I think they should crank up their prices, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going <laughs> to tell them that. I'm not going to tell them that. I'm just saying we know a good deal when we see it. And the Thanksgiving dinner box at Friesen Brothers qualifies again, cateringbyfriesen.com. You know, if you're thinking about making a move this fall in your personal life, you want to better yourself, you want to learn more about something, you want to get yourself a certification or achieve, unlock that next education level to prepare yourself for a job opportunity, do yourself a favor and check out AthabascaU.ca. It's Canada's open university. Athabasca University offers world-class accredited online programs and courses that give you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You know, we're working on booking an interview. We're soon going to be talking to a graduate student, like a master's student at AU, probably next week. Nice. She's working on a virtual reality, 360-degree video uh, project, like a resource for people, based on her Cree heritage, Mm -hmm. to learn how to sew a, a cultural, a ribbon skirt. Wow. And so they're using virtual reality and AI and 360 video to teach indigenous culture. I mean, the research that's that's happening at Athabasca University is so cool, and we're so proud to partner with them. Again, that's AthabascaU.ca. All right, in the latest issue of Alberta Views magazine, you see it right there on the cover. Who wants Albertans to gamble more? All of us. The journalist behind this piece is also the editor of Alberta Views magazine. Nice ad on the back, too. You like that? No, no, that's not ours. They just stole our colors. (laughs) See our colors (laughs) It does look like like a real talk ad, doesn't it? But by the way, we should show it off. They do such a nice job for us. We're proud to partner with them. There it is. Get real in 2023. The real talk ad. Pretty close to the front cover as well. I think maybe we owe... Oh, Evan lunch or something. We'll find out. Uh, Evan is joined this morning by Andre Bassanius, who's a speaker for the Problem Gambling Resources Network. Uh, she's got an honors degree in political science, uh, a minor in French as well, from the University of Alberta, uh, a popular and very effective advocate for those with lived experience of gambling addiction. Welcome to the both of you. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Andre, am I pronouncing your name okay? I want to make sure before we go any further. 
Yeah, you look like you're about my age, Ryan, so Andre the Giant is usually what I tell people to okay. go by. Well, hey, you are a giant in the field of helping people uh, address their addictions and talk honestly about it. And you, I mean, for people that read this and they can check it out online at albertaviews.ca as well or subscribe, um, you, you put, you, I'm using all these metaphors and I'm not, you laid all your cards on the table for Evan. You talked about everything. Is it easy for you to talk about your own struggles or did you have to work yourself to that point? Oh, I, it's a process for sure. Um, I've been in recovery now since, um, well, 2007, but I first started this journey in 2003. And so when I was first asked to share my story, I think I had about, I don't know, maybe three months in recovery. And I basically, my response was, are you high? I mean, it wasn't a very uh, sensitive response at all because there was just, as Evan demonstrated in the article, I mean, I grew up firmly believing that addiction was all about how you were raised, how educated you were, what type of household you grew up in, um, what sort of exposure you had to addiction. Um, I never thought that that was anything that I was ever going to have to worry about. It was never anything that we talked about in my high school. I went to Strathcona High School here in Edmonton. And a lot of the classes that I speak to now are in what we call career and life management, which is a mandatory a class that high school students have to take in grade 11 or grade 12 before they can graduate. And one of the subjects that they learn about is addiction and money management. And so I go in and talk about that. And when I was in high school, back in the early 90s, that wasn't even a topic of conversation. And I really feel like this conversation has only really been happening and since the social dilemma appeared during COVID. And all of a sudden people are like, well, wait a minute, maybe addiction has nothing to do with consumption. And maybe it has nothing to do with whether or not we put it into our body, maybe it has to do with how it negatively impacts our life. Huh. So you're so you're raised and you, and you tell the story in the piece. I love your mug, by the way. I can't even says her coffee mug. That's brilliant. Um, but it, but as you shared with Evan in your piece, you you, you grew up not. You, 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 I didn't get the vibe that you judged people that gambled. Maybe you quietly did. Maybe a lot of us quietly did. But that wasn't necessarily the vibe, right? No, but I can remember, and I, I can remember. And I, I only know one way to be, which is completely open. And so I'm ashamed to admit this, but I really firmly remember working bingos coming out of there smelling like an ashtray and sort of flabbergasted at the fact that the garbage cans at the end of the bingo table would be full with pull tab tickets. And this was in the early 1990s. I mean, this was even before we had seen the mass explosion. And so as soon as bingo was done, as soon as there would be a break in bingo, they would roll out these garbage cans and we would start selling pull-tab tickets. And people would say, one from the top, one from you, one from the, you know, the middle, you're unlucky, you stay away from me. And people would go through just a stack of these pull-tab tickets. And so I was judgmental, right? And I was that individual that was like, who would spend their hard-earned money, I'll stop moving my hands, who would spend their hard-earned money sitting like with a bingo dauber or ripping open some ticket? Like, how is that fun? And how is that entertaining? And then to see people sitting in front of a VLT machine or a slot machine and trying to line up three sevens or three bells or five swinging monkeys. Like, I just had no concept of how an individual would pay to find that entertaining. Yet years later, you find yourself in a position where that is a huge part of your life. And 
I want to get to that in just a quick second, but let's let's welcome, let's loop Evan in to the conversation here. Evan, I love how you start your piece in the first person, and you start it not as in the context of the editor of Alberta Views magazine. You start it in the context of the parent of an elementary school age child, and you're there doing your duty as part of the fundraiser. Was was this a first for you stepping into that casino in that role? No, not at all. I'd done a few long time ago. Uh, like Andre said, um, you know, I did them in the nineties in the early two thousands. Uh, I think it was for sports teams or it was for other charities. I don't remember, but, uh, this most recent, uh, charity casino event was for my daughter's school, uh, my eldest daughter's school. And it was really the inciting incident for this story because, um, you know, like Andre, I came from a place where gambling wasn't really on my radar. You know, as a kid, casinos didn't even really exist. Uh, they didn't come to Alberta until the 80s, and I certainly wasn't going when I was a kid. And um, a lot of these other forms of gambling are pretty recent and pretty new. Um, and so this wasn't on my radar. But then I've become aware just in working here and uh, through a number of stories we've published about the problems of gambling and of the spread of gambling and of the harms of addiction. Uh, but even then, it wasn't as though there was a story really on my radar per se. But then over the last couple of years, a lot of things have changed. And I think some of your listeners will be aware that, um, you know, we have more casinos. There's there, We're adding more all the time. And it kind of, it surprised me. I mean, if you'd asked me how many casinos there were, I wouldn't have said, you know, we have 25 and, and new ones open every year. And now, First Nations are getting into casinos, so more are opening there every year, and we have more VLTs than ever. I kind of thought VLTs was a battle that was sort of fought and resolved in the 90s, but we're adding more VLTs all the time and more locations. Now you've got sports gambling that was, again, it was illegal. I mean, when I was uh, kind of coming of age, you know, boat bookies, people went to bookies. I didn't know where to find a bookie, um, but now sports gambling is legal, and Alberta's got a particular approach to that. And then the other big change has been the the apps. And so they're technically illegal, but that isn't stopping anyone from using them in Alberta. And various places are, are sort of grappling with this. But you can now gamble from your phone or from your iPad, you know, from your, your couch at home or your, 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 your seat at work. Uh, and so, yeah, the spread of gambling has really been quite uh, alarming over the last couple of years in particular. Uh, but that, even that wasn't the, I mean, any of those could have been a subject for a story, but that wasn't even really the inciting incident for me because I started to look at how our government was sanctioning gambling and encouraging gambling, really, or turning a blind eye and not really doing much about the problems of addiction. And that started to bother me. And then I learned that, you know, we, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I'm still surprised by this. I think it kind of happened and a lot of Albertans maybe didn't pay attention, but we actually launched a crown casino during the, the or actually, sorry, it was just before the pandemic, I think, but it's all in the story. Um, and so now we have state-sponsored gambling. It's not just, oh, well, we don't, we'll allow a casino to open and we'll tolerate that or we'll we'll regulate it. We're actually in the game ourselves. Um, as as you, you and I, you, Ryan, Andre, all of us, we own a casino called Play Alberta and it functions online and it's, uh, it's quite lucrative. I mean, there were 3.6 billion in bets placed at Play Alberta, I think last year. So, um, so that's something our government's done to really not discourage it, but actually encourage gambling. We're now opening the door to these offshore apps, the MGM Grands, the others, the the apps that you'll see your hero uh, Connor McDavid and Wayne Gretzky really pushing. Those apps are now coming to Alberta pretty soon, 
So, I mean, they're illegal now, but it doesn't stop people from using them, but they'll really be prolific when those uh, when that, that floodgates opens. Um, and then I started to really look at what, in particular, this, this UCP government has been doing around gambling, because, of course, they came in with this big um, uh, drive, I guess, to cut what they call red tape. And so they dramatically cut regulations around gambling over the last, I'm going to say, five years. And some of these changes, I think, would really surprise people. Like, did we need VLTs to be operated 24 hours a day? I mean, as Andre mentioned to me, um, if you're addicted, sometimes the only thing that forces you to stop is that the VLT actually turns off at two in the morning or whenever it is. Uh, we don't have that anymore because our UCP government said, well, no, let's just let people gamble 24 hours a day because that seems like a, a normal, healthy thing to encourage. Um, there's a there are literally hundreds of regulations they cut. I think they cut 40% of the regulations overall, and some of them are kind of comedic. Uh, the AGLC cut, uh, for example. I mean, I don't know if you were Ryan. You were you probably don't seem like someone who needs uh, cocktails delivered to your house by the bar, but that's a that's a change in regulation. You can now get drinks ordered to your house or funeral mm -hmm. homes can now sell alcohol because that was a that was a problem that we had that needed solving. But yeah, my biggest concerns along the the changes in regulation were in the gambling area and i didn't have room to get into them all so i just mentioned some of the more egregious ones uh but then meanwhile i looked at well i know i'm going on a bit here but you know we don't evan we this don't is the show where you can go on and andre oh, hey, you can well. you can jump in like we're just we're hey. having coffee and hanging out it's real talk evan carry on okay well i'll wrap my point up here just quickly so um you know i started to look more at what our government is and isn't doing and you know for example with um with alcohol, it's it's really hard to advertise alcohol. If you're an alcohol maker, you can't actually show someone drinking a beer in an ad. And there's like famously hundreds of restrictions on how you can advertise and market alcohol. Um, and tobacco is even more so. And I would love to talk about that later. Um, but with gambling, there are no restrictions, it seems like, or very few anyway. And so there's ads sort of around the clock and kids are being targeted by these ads. And Andre really opened my eyes to things like loot boxes and how uh, gambling in for kids is really being pushed now. And I mean, I've got young kids. I'm, I'm a, a little bit uh, nervous about where, where that's going and what they're going to be exposed to. And so, but none of this, honestly, any of these things could have been a story, just the fact we opened a crown casino or the fact that our government seems so open to encouraging more people to gamble and, and turning a blind eye to addiction. But none of these were actually the real driver of the story. It was when I went and worked this uh, charity event last November uh, for my kids' school. And they said, you know, we're not going to get our event if we don't get some parent. I ignored the email. I went, whatever, this is stupid. I hate these casino events. I'm not going to do it. But then they said, well, if we don't get another volunteer, we're not going to get $65,000 for books, for field trips, for an artist in residence, for, you know, resources in the classroom. So basically you have to work this charity event or your child's education is going to suffer. So, you know, I went and it's, it's a rotten experience. It's, it's, it's in, it's, you look, you're in this little cage and you're paying people out for, for, you know, you call it winnings, but it's actually, you're just giving them the money that they didn't lose. And you look out and it's, it's just addiction. It's 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning in early November. There's nothing glamorous. And people are, li and people are lined up. People are yeah, and, lined and you look up. Out and this place is full of people sitting in front of VLTs. And, uh, you know, if they're there an hour, maybe you could kid yourself into thinking, well, this is just entertainment or it's gaming as the AGLC likes to call it. But they're there six hours or seven hours or eight hours. Or some of them were there the almost the entire time I was there. And I just, it just dawned on me and really kind of um, came full circle and hit home. Like my 
I'm funding my child's education through other people's suffering and, mm. and addiction. And I mean, it's not just education either. It's healthcare. It's the whole range of civil society. And so anyway, I should probably leave it there because I'm sure you have some other things you want to say. But yeah, it's that's really was the inciting incident for me was that charity casino event when I went, this is wrong. This is immoral. This is sick. This is perverse. And yeah, I have to say something about this. You, you, you're not alone. Say, yeah, go ahead, Andre. Yeah, I would say that that's a common, I think I'm just going to take the words right out of your mouth, Ryan. I think that that's a common sentiment from a lot of a lot of individuals who work casinos. So I have kids that are in grade seven and grade nine. Our junior high had a charity casino last February and I did a presentation to our parent council because I, just to clarify, I'm not an anti-gambling zealot. I have no desire to burn down casinos. Our organization is not about being anti-gambling. I just think that gambling is not an addiction that we've thought about historically in the same vein as alcohol and tobacco and substances. And when we look at gambling, we're probably, 30 to 40 years behind, meaning that, you know, the gains that we've made in recognizing that tobacco is an addiction and that it negatively impacts not just the user, but also those around them and the, you know, the measures that we've taken in society to try and curb that and and to try and keep others safe. Gambling is in, in its infancy. Like we, it's the hidden addiction, which makes it even harder. There's this notorious, not notorious, there's this lingering belief that um, gamblers are smarter, that we know better, that we're more intelligent, that we have money, and that it's all about money. And the the fear with things like apps or 24-hour casinos that, you know, River Cree is now open 24-hour, is that, as Evan mentioned, for gambling addicts like myself, it's not about the money. There's never going to be a big enough win or a high enough high. You know, accidental drug overdoses happen now because there's a poison drug supply, but in the past they would happen because addicts are trying to get back to the highest high or, you know, chase the ghost or the dragon. And gambling addicts will lie because that's what all addicts do in order to keep using. And I will tell you that I'm gambling for my big win or I'm gambling to make my money back. And for the individuals that Evan saw gambling six or seven hours, I would suspect that that's a lot of their thought process, right? I'm going back, I'm going to win the money that I lost last week or last night, and then I'll stop. The only time I left the casino with money hand to God is if I won at 1.59 in the morning and the slot machine shut off at 2. So you're the, you're the person that Evan's talking about. You're the one that was saved by the bell from time to time. Yeah, I was the girl that there could have been fireworks going on around me and I would not have noticed because I wasn't there to make money. I wasn't there to watch the swinging monkeys. I was there to zone out and not think and not deal. And because I wasn't putting it into my body, because we fundraise from it, because most of the people around me were blue haired grandmas, I somehow justified it in my mind that I'd be able to quit sooner. Like I wasn't drinking to get drunk. I wasn't sticking a dirty needle in my arm. Yeah, I wasn't doing a great job coping with stress and anxiety, but was it really any different than going shopping or, you know, people who come home and have a glass of wine? And I honestly thought that I would be able to control it the same way that people try and manage their technology right now, right? They try and lock it away from them. They try and turn it off. They try and flip it over. And then as soon as it beeps, they're back on it again. If something is created to be addictive, it's hard for us as individuals to try and find ways of controlling it. 
And that's what's different than, you know, the, one of the first videos that you showed, Ryan, were of a poker table. And it just sort of made me smile because I only played poker to make money in order to go sit in front of a slot machine. Because huh. I didn't gamble to make money. I gambled to zone out. And playing poker was too much thought and too much social interaction, as absurd as that sounds. I see. So, Andre, let and me so ask you this. You because think- you you share with Evan, you experienced a traumatic life event um and and when we talked about how your your upbringing and how you viewed gambling and it was never an issue it didn't seem to be an issue in your family this wasn't something that was you know it wasn't like a kid growing up in the backseat of the car watching their parents smoke with the windows rolled up so then they start smoking when they're 14 and yeah that wasn't it you experienced a traumatic event and then all of a sudden you found slot machines you found vlts Mm -hmm. like so so talk to us about what that did for you okay so Looking back in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, as Ryan mentioned, I was still somebody who could not have found a casino if my life had depended on it. I didn't know what a VLT stood for. I probably had never really seen them in the bar because back then they were always in sort of the dark, dingy corner or by the bathroom. And at that time, I didn't smoke cigarettes and they were always sort of clouded in a blue (laughs) blue haze of smoke. And so I don't think I ever really thought about a VLT or even really thought about gambling for myself personally. But I was living in Red Deer and I had been through a rape, as you had mentioned, and I had done sort of, as I say, everything right by sort of what we think. I filed a police report. He went to jail. I did therapy. And sort of after a few months, I thought I would be better. And sort of of that, like, if I say I'm better, I'm going to be better. And if we, you know, build the bridge and get over it, then we just need to get over it. But that's not the way that trauma works. And that's not the way that I'm built. Um, And so I tried geographic therapy and I moved to Red Deer and I mean, geographic therapy doesn't work. And I got introduced to a VLT and I can remember specifically my mind, like I'm not putting anything into my body. Yeah, this would be fun once in a while, but it's not really like my game. But when I moved back to Edmonton and I was on medical leave off my job, trying to deal with the trauma of the rape, I remember sitting at home and thinking, When she sat in front of that machine, being my girlfriend, she was able to zone out the entire world. And I deserve that. And I think that's every addict's mantra, right? Uh I deserve and I'm entitled. And if I do this, I won't get addicted. I will know when to stop long before it ever becomes a problem. Because no matter how much we educate ourselves around addiction and mental health, no matter how many conversations we have around the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic, the diagnostic statistical manual that we use to diagnose bipolar and schizophrenia and PTSD and anxiety. And even though compulsive gambling is not consumed, it's in there. But I was firmly of this belief that it must be about willpower. It must be about self-control. And so I'll just quit when it becomes a problem. And that first night that I was back in Edmonton, I actually had to look up casinos in the yellow pages. I mean, talk about aging myself, the yellow pages, for goodness sakes, because I had no idea where they were. And I drove to Yellowhead Casino. And for the first time in my life, I sat in front of a slot machine. And within six hours, I lost $400. And I can remember Ryan thinking like, well, you know, I could go to Costco and drop that kind of money in no, no time. Is this really any different? And yet the next day I woke up and still felt sad. And so back to the casino I went and I was 27 and living in my parents' basement and had gone through this horrible experience. And so was able to push people at bay. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like. 
never just never explaining to them where I had been, but just sort of saying I'm volunteering at the food bank or I'm going to counseling or I'm going to the gym, which was a lie. Me going to a gym is the biggest red flag in anyone in my life. They should have caught on to that pretty quick. <laughs> However, it was really about driving to the casino. And I would say walking in, it's only going to be 20 bucks. It's only going to be half an hour because I knew probably within two weeks I was hooked. How many times I, was it? How many times was it 20 bucks or half an hour? Never. It never was because the first night it was 400 and probably the next night it was at least that to try and win it back. But the money was never winning. The money back was never the end goal. The end goal, like most addicts was to numb. So paying that money was just the price that I had to pay. So just like, you know, when I go to high schools, you know, high schools and I'm trying to relate to high school students, I'm like, it's no different than your friend during the holiday season watching the fireplace on TV for two hours. I mean, we all, we all do it. We all zone out. We all lose track of time. The challenges or the problem is, is that having an addiction, even though it's a disease and an illness, it blows up everyone else's life. I have a son with diabetes. I have another son with autism and a whole bunch of alphabets behind them. And none of his diagnoses negatively impacts our life the way that my disease of addiction blew up everyone else's life around me. Mm. And that's the challenge I think we have with bringing compassion and understanding to the field of addiction. Because there's always going to be that story of the 90-year-old grandpa who smoked player's filter for 80 years and then one morning woke up and quit cold turkey and now everyone puts Grandpa Joe up on the pedestal and says, see, if you really wanted to quit, you could, and you're just not trying hard enough. And so our approach in our society over the last hundred years has been to shame people simply. And that strategy has not worked. Andre. And I would say being in and out of recovery for the last 18 years, the number one reason why people relapse is because they think they've screwed it up anyway. If you think that you are never going to get past it, never going to get out of debt, people are never going to forgive you. You might as well just set it on fire. Lost cause. Yep. You know, some right? cause. I the class, I'll skip the class. I failed the exam, I'll drop the class. You we should... are a society of all in. Can I just say like, and, and uh, I'll get to Evan in just a second, but I want to follow up on something. Talking about your relapse, in the middle of Evan's piece, my heart breaks. My heart sinks. Um, <laughs> my heart's not broken because here you are talking to us as an advocate and what a remarkable story. And I never want it to go unacknowledged during a show when somebody shows up and just lets us hear the real deal and shares their personal story. And Andre, I have so much appreciation for that, so much respect for that. Your relapse, though, made my heart sink because it was an employer. And it was an employer that maybe didn't necessarily, I don't think that they had ill will toward you. I don't know them, but it didn't sound like it. They had no idea what they were asking you to do. No, but also, too, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm an adult and I have to take personal responsibility for my own actions, right? And when we talk about all of the gambling that exists now in Alberta, at the end of the day, honestly, Ryan and Evan, I don't know if there's anything the government could do to legislate anything if we do not get past this stigma of shame. Like we often talk about, and I'm going to get to the relapse in just a sec, but we often talk about, I often question high school students and say, like, why do you think anonymous meetings fail in smaller towns? And they'll say, well, because everyone knows everybody and everyone knows what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, but they know that you're in the bar. So why is going to a meeting? Sure. And at the end of the day, it's not the people in the small town keeping people away from the meeting. It's our own. I call him Gazoo from the Flintstones, the green Martian that was always getting fed into massive trouble. That's my addict. 
And it's Gazoo that keeps us. We all know who our worst enemy is, and it's ourselves. Mm. There is nothing that anyone could say to me about the things that I have done that I haven't said to myself 10 times over and a thousand times harsher. I relapsed in 2007 because I'm an addict in recovery, which means you will probably have people on your show, Ryan, and you probably have people in your life who say I'm a recovered alcoholic, and that's great for them. That is not what I believe. Hopefully I will be in recovery to the day that I die, but I will never be cured. And what that means is that doesn't define who I am, but it's a piece of who I am. And I have to do whatever's necessary in order to stay sober. And in 2007, I started to line up the dominoes of bad decisions. And in 2007, I started carrying cash around that I didn't need. I started saying things like, you know, I gambled in 2003 because I was depressed and I'm not depressed anymore. So if I go gamble now, it'll be totally different. Mm. It'll only be 20 bucks. It'll only be half an hour and it'll be fun because I'll know all the signs to watch for and I'll quit long before it gets that bad. Now, not to minimize that sentence, but that's as dumb as what I'm going to say next. I've been buying family size bag potato chips long before I had a family. And every time I buy the family size bag, the conversation's always like, okay, I'll put a quarter in a bowl and then save the rest for later on in the week and right. make a big production of chip clipping it and putting it in the pantry. We all know how that ends. 45 minutes later, the entire bag is gone and I have a ring of grease around my mouth and I feel terrible because it's trying to imply a sense of control to something that I simply cannot. I don't know why when I sit in front of a slot machine, I cannot stop. I could work the 12 steps for the next like 50 years and I can't tell you why. So you're saying, you know, know for a fact, if like, so your employer in 07 that asked you to work at charity casino, probably not aware of, of your history. Uh, you're saying right now, if, if, if Evan and me and you go into a casino to work at a charity kids event, you know, that even today, half an hour after this conversation, considering all of your advocacy and everything that, you know, your lived experience and otherwise, that this would be an issue for you, no matter what, you know that for a fact. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I will say this. My last rock bottom was so bad that I attempted suicide and spent five weeks on the psychiatric ward at the Misericordia Hospital. Mm. My last bottom was so bad that I would walk on broken glass for the rest of my life, never to feel that kind of pain again. So I don't roll up the rim to win. I don't safely pull tab. I don't play Monopoly at McDonald's. Do I think winning a set of French fries or like Park Place is going to send me back to the psych ward? Of course not. But the reality is, is that I would do anything not to feel that kind of pain again. And I'm just not going to put anything at risk. And so, no, in 15 years, I have not stepped foot in a casino. And wow. every time Jan Arden comes to Edmonton, I want to murder her because I love her so much, but she keeps going to River Creek. And I just will not put myself in a risky situation. If I was an alcoholic in recovery, I'm not yet. But if I was, I'm not going to go hang out in a liquor store just to see if I could. Fair enough. So, Evan, you're right. I mean, let's talk about the you know the policies here and the numbers. And I mean, you do a marvelous job breaking this down. People just need to go to albertaviews.ca. What you number one need to do is subscribe to the magazine for engaged citizens. The promo code AVRJ will knock 50 percent off a one-year subscription. It's basically 10 issues delivered to your door for 20 bucks. I mean, it's unbelievable. Albertaviews.ca, the promo code AVRJ to subscribe. But some of these numbers, Evan, like as you mentioned, 24 casinos in Alberta and counting. Uh, that's the highest number. Is that per capita or total in the country? Sorry, the 24 is total. Okay. The, the, the number of casinos uh, to population is the highest, and that's per capita. Yeah. Okay. We're the only yeah. province... Go ahead, Andre. In North America, we're, th we're third. Third so in North America. Casinos, 
per population in North America, Edmonton is third. Okay. So Vegas is first, Reno is second, Edmonton is third. Are you serious? There's no casinos in Vancouver proper. There's no casinos in Toronto proper. And if you live in the U.S., like, except for Atlantic City, Reno, and Nevada, most casinos, if not all, are on indigenous land in the U.S. Yeah. So you're driving anywhere from five miles to 50 miles in order to go gamble. Although the I don't know. Now, uh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. You're, you're oh, the expert, not me. But I don't even, I mean, yes, it's relevant where the, the geography. Evan, I, Evan, can, can I just say this? Can we do this live on the air? We, we're making you miss a meeting right now. Can we keep talking for a few minutes? Is this okay? Uh, I might get fired, but yeah. You might get okay. fired. I'll, I'll call the publisher and I'll, we'll give you like a get out of jail free card. Um, but we really appreciate it and we won't go too long. Uh, and if you need to bolt, that's totally fine too. But 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 I'm just, Andre, Andre I'm wondering with the with the geographical thing, if that's even relevant anymore. Because it of, is, so, well, well, like look at our tablets and our not- phones and our laptops and it's like people, problem gamblers can gamble on their phones 24 hours a day. It is from the, from the standpoint, if we're looking from, and again, like I'm not an anti-gambling advocate, but I do think that we're in a society of access and excess, right? Like there's a liquor store in every block corner. There's a weed store in every block corner. And the yeah. stats don't lie. Crime jumps up by 90% in communities that have casinos and Edmonton has seven. There is a direct correlation between crime and gambling. And if you talk to city councillors or the city of Edmonton, I don't think they're so thrilled with it, to be totally honest, because it's the province of Alberta that walks away with the largest portion of the profit. Yeah, and that's the thing. Leasing and the crime and they get the employment, but they get a lot of the drama and not a lot of the payoff. And Evan, this is this is the revenue thing. It's the same reason why we don't have. Wow, do I even want to drag this into it? I don't know if I do. But it's the same reason why there's so much pushback when there's talk about sustainability and net zero initiatives and wind and solar and renewables in Alberta is because governments, and who can blame them, governments are addicted to the revenue. And it allows governments to give tax breaks to corporations and cut taxes to consumers, which we love. But but Evan, you point out three out of four Albertans gamble every year. We are the only province or territory in Canada that allows uh, casino initiatives for charity. And look at this. Look at this. In the pages of Alberta Views, this is the one, honestly, that jumps out at me. 10%, almost 10% of Albertans aged 12 to 17 gamble frequently and are at risk of becoming problem gamblers. So, Evan, what does meaningful government response look like, and would you expect to see it? (laughs) That's a huge question. Um, just to pick up on something Andre was saying earlier. So, you know, this is, it's not as though this is about completely a story about, you know, helpless uh, victims. So we, we've, there is an individual component to this. There is a cultural component to this. And Alberta is very different that way. Um, you know, we, you can, you can allow ads on television, for example, that promote gambling, or you can ban them. And some places don't allow them and some places do allow them. And that kind of contributes to the culture. You have kids growing up in some places watching TV and seeing ads for gambling and going, okay, well, this isn't a normal thing in my society and it's fun to gamble. And in another society, they're not seeing those ads. And so they don't grow up thinking it's fun to gamble and it's normal to gamble. So there's a cultural component. You know, you can look at our healthcare system. We don't exactly focus on preventative health. We don't have great resources for people once you you know, develop a gambling addiction or another form of gambling, good luck. I mean, this this system is not particularly good at, at helping people. And Andre might, you know, speak more about that. 
Um, our education system, I don't know, I didn't learn anything about gambling when I grew up. I don't know how much education is going on now other than people like Andre coming into the schools. But, um, you know, so there is definitely a cultural component to this. But as far as policy goes, I am angry at the Alberta government because, you know, gambling is not inevitable, despite the technological changes, as you say, the apps that allow you to gamble from your phone. None of this is inevitable. I mean, Alaska doesn't have casinos. You know, we think of Alaska as even more kind of Wild West than Alberta. They don't have casinos. BC doesn't allow VLTs in bars and restaurants. You have to go to a Not casino. Not Ontario or any of the territories. Sure. Hawaii doesn't have a state lottery, you know, for principled reasons. Oh. Uh, I found it, I was looking all around the world and I, I could only mention a few of them. But one of the ones I found most interesting was Singapore. I think it's Singapore. I might be misquoting myself, but... They have a entrance fee to casinos. You have to pay something like $100 or more to go into a casino to gamble. So people with very low incomes are not going in there and doing that. And people with, it, it, it really suppresses the amount of addiction you can have in a society. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what we need to do here. I'm just saying none of this is inevitable and every jurisdiction can handle this differently. And Alberta has chosen to go way out on a limb and just say, we're okay with this. And in fact, we're more than okay with this. We're encouraging it. We want more of it. And it does come back, as you say, to the revenues. Uh, the government of Alberta makes over a billion dollars every year, just directly from gambling revenues. And that just goes into general revenues. Uh, then you have the charities themselves and charities in this province are defined as everything from schools to hospitals, to cancer research, to you know, societies for the brain injured, food banks, even addictions treatment centers, mm -hmm. they're all applying for charity casino events and getting money off them. And a lot of these organizations talk about it's it's arts groups, it's theater companies. Sure. It's you know, I have a list in there. It's it's just insane to me. It's it's all of civil society. And they're clamoring for these charity casino events. And there's more people applying, more groups applying than there are events to be handed out. And many of them talk about how, as as my as my daughter's school did, if we don't get this event, we're hooped. We don't have, uh, you know, enough funding to to keep the lights on and keep the doors open and keep people employed. And I think, why are we funding civil society this way? Uh, and I think one of the short answers is because it's easy for a government. They say, well, I could I could charge I could I could levy taxes to fund the services that we feel like we need as a society. Or, hey, I could uh, take this money from gamblers and addicts, and then I can lower taxes. And so everyone thinks I'm some kind of, you know, libertarian or whatever fiscal champion because I've got lower taxes. Well, why do we have lower taxes? In part, it's because we take advantage of people who have addiction and raise a lot of our, our revenues through gambling and addiction. And, it's, and I mean, the numbers don't lie. Alberta does this far more than just about any other place really in the world, certainly in North America. So um, if there's any takeaways, you know, that I want your your listeners to to kind of think about, you know, I, I think you mentioned this right off the hop. And I think Andrea said this. None of us here, I can only really speak for myself, but none of us here are against gambling. None of us want to shut down the lottery and close down all casinos. I mean, if you told me tomorrow that every VLT was unplugged and that had, that industry had ended, I would not shed a tear. But, um, you know, I understand the argument for maybe a limited casino industry a lot of bars uh, a lot of bars would close evan if, if vlt oh absolutely were, and that's why oh, vlt sure. came up in the first place in the 90s was because a lot of rural restaurants and bars said we are in trouble and i just think yep. i don't know I've, i'll put that to your uh your rural listeners like what is uh 
what is it is it really worth keeping a business open like a bar or restaurant in rural alberta if the only way they can be viable is to take advantage of people with an illness with an addiction with a disease um you know many bar owners have said if i didn't have vlts i would have to shut down this is why a lot of small towns in alberta that actually voted against vlts in the 90s have gone back on this now and are putting them in because they say look you know why should rocky mountain house ban vlts when you can go 15 minutes up the road and use VLTs in Drayton Valley. Whatever. I had a, I had a guy tell me I would never say what bar he owns or what city he lives in, but but an Albertan that I know personally told me that a he takes three quarters of a million dollars annually. Oh yeah, hey, that's oh his there's tape lots of people on the record, lots VLTs. of restaurant owners and bar owners say yeah. look without these revenues he says they close. Down. I just yeah. think then you're not really a bar or restaurant anymore. You're selling you know access to VLTs for addicts. I mean it's. It's kind of nuts. So I just say none of us are against gambling uh, per se, although I'd, I'd say it seems like all of us could talk about the harms that we'd like to see reduced and the forms that we'd like to see limited. Um, it just and, seems like and then also it's not inevitable and that it really, a lot of this, it is beyond just culture. A lot of this does come down to government policy. And a lot of it comes down to our regulator. I mean, we haven't talked about the AGLC. We haven't even gone to the AGLC yet. Um, God, yeah. Evan, I don't know. I mean, we can go all day. I know you got to go, but we can go all day on this. Um, Andre, you were <laughs> going to jump in. What did you want to say? Um, I was just going to say that in regards to, I mean, it comes to down a little bit to uh, legislation, but it, it's also just so much easier to villainize the big bad tobacco company. It's easier to villainize the big bad, like even now the video game company, right? Like Fortnite and Epic Games now are paying out a settlement um, in North America to individuals that bought loot box purchases against their will or whatnot. So there's this huge settlement right now, which is loot boxes are a form of gambling within video gaming. And it's a real transition piece that we're seeing with this younger population, because the more you play a video game, unless you're me, you should advance. And so we're seeing this natural progression of kiddos who are using loot boxes to improve their, um, gaming and then falling into thinking that they can somehow be better gamblers. Um, but what I was going to say is that it's just so much easier to villainize sort of the big bad tobacco companies and the big bad liquor companies or alcohol companies, um, you know, and the big bad drug dealers. And we just don't take that approach to gambling at all. Like we just don't have the same conversation and the onus when we talk about addiction, when you look at alcohol or drugs or tobacco, the onus is not on the individual. We talked about the poison opioid supply. We talked about how cigarettes are created to be addictive. Um, but with gambling, it seems all the onus is on the individual. Like, why isn't the individual staying out of the casino? And why isn't the individual not doing this? And why isn't the individual not getting a smaller credit card? And why is the individual doing this? Meanwhile, there are money marks and cash Canada's and loan shops and pawn shops and like access everywhere. And that's just the difference. We're in a society now where let's be honest, we've all been asked to deal so much more with so much less. We're, I mean, we jumped in on the conversation with you around mental health. We know that. And gambling addicts, not surprisingly, have one of the highest, if not the highest suicide rates of all addictions. And part of the reason for that is because it's hidden. And because it's hidden, rock bottom isn't seen. So if I was abusing alcohol or drugs, unless everybody in my life was A-OK -okay with it, I'm going to get caught gambling i could be sitting next to my great grandma at the dinner table losing my entire life savings and she wouldn't have the foggiest idea yeah and when i relapsed in 2007 and you and i can talk about that if evan has to jet my husband didn't find out until he saw the bank statement 
because there's no track marks. There's no dollar signs in my eyeballs. There's no poker breath. And there's always a way of saying like, well, I was mm, late because breath. of this or my phone died or this happened or my car broke down and da, 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 right? Like eventually the lies all catch up. But in the short term, a gambling addiction is so much easier to hide and we justify it because we think like it's just money. Um, Evan, let's say, and, and we'll, we'll cut you loose. I know you do have to go in. Andre, uh, we'd love if you'd stick around for a little bit. We can. The, the beauty of this talk show is that there's not like a sports talk show coming up in four minutes with a commercial. We, we don't have to go. We can just keep talking. And our audience is, is just ab- so appreciative of this, thanking you both for the real talk. Uh, but Evan, let's quickly talk about this, and then we'll refer people to albertaviews.ca to read your piece. Uh, you talk about the makeup and political connections on the AGLC board, um, Alberta Gaming Liquor, and, and now it's Cannabis Commission, right? Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, Len Rhodes, the chair who, by the way, is a personal friend of mine. I'm not looking to beef with Len, uh, former CEO, <laughs> former CEO of the Edmonton Elks, but he was a United conservative candidate in Edmonton Meadows. He lost that election. Uh, Angela two Weisenberger is the wife of Jason Kenney's campaign manager. She's on the board for AGLC, Wayne Drysdale. People will remember Wayne, a former UCP MLA out of Grand Prairie, Elan Harper, Harper, Harper is on the board of AGLC, uh, the former prime minister's sister-in-law. None of them, as far as I know, Evan, have any credentials when it comes to addiction. Uh, Did you want to tee that up as part of your final thoughts here? Wow. Yeah, I have a lot of concerns about the AGLC. Um, I think I'm and, and it's nothing personal against any of these people. I'm sure they're fine people. But when you populate a board with no addictions experts whatsoever. And it seems like everyone there is kind of from a, I don't know, like an accounting or business background. Um, it's maybe no surprise that there's uh, some problems with the AGLC. I would just say the problems with the AGLC actually start not with the current members, but it actually starts with the mandate. So they have this double barreled mandate. I just want to quote it because I think it's so shocking. So their merit, their mandate is to maintain the integrity of gaming activities while maximizing the financial return to Albertans. So first of all, we have maintaining the integrity of gaming activities, which to me sounds more like making sure that, you know, games can't be, uh, you know, people can't cheat or that uh, returns are being, you know, you're all gonna, you're gonna lose money, but let's make sure that the amount that you're losing is fair and that you're not losing 70% when you're only supposed to be losing 50% or whatever. Um, So maintain the integrity, nothing about, harm reduction, maintain the integrity of gaming, like keep it something that people, I guess, want to do because it's fair. And then secondly, maximize the financial return to Albertans. So I, my metaphor in the story is it's akin to a person committing to a healthy diet, but also to eating as much as possible. And I just think, how could the AGLC be anything but a pusher, essentially, when that is their mandate to maintain the integrity, but also maximize financial return so get as many people gambling in as many different ways as possible and 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 constantly expand gambling options and i mean they can try and defend their record but all they've done over the last couple of years is cut regulation and make it easier for people to gamble and easier for people to get addicted and i mean i looked into this game sense program and andre can speak a lot more about this and it doesn't really seem like the aglc is making particularly robust efforts to reduce gambling and so that's what i think my my last takeaway would be uh well two one is i would like gambling to be treated i I would like us to do harm reduction i would like us to treat it the way we do say for example tobacco which has come up several times so in my editorial in the same issue i write about this 
20 years ago, as a province, we decided, um, you know, we're, we have far too high a rate of cancer. Too many people are getting lung cancer and dying. This is a problem. Uh, what are we going to do about this? Well, first of all, let's tax cigarette companies. Let's put a huge tax on cigarettes, which is a deterrent to people buying cigarettes. And also we can take those revenues and put them into education and healthcare. So that's the first thing we did is we taxed. Uh, I, I won't use bad words, but we taxed the uh, the heck out of uh, cigarettes. That's your personal Second choice. To, that's your and, personal and you choice to not this. use bad words, Evan. That's your personal choice. Uh, you have uh, you have the green light. If you if you feel like you need to, uh, you can. I feel like that that ship has sailed. I missed my moment. But <laughs> so the other thing we did is we put uh, warnings on cigarette packages. I wish I brought one in with me, but I'm sure you remember Ryan before these warnings. You know, it was just a label with you know whatever the cigarette name on them now half the package says cigarettes cause cancer secondhand smoke harms babies you know here's a picture of a diseased lung that was another thing is they added photos you have diseased lungs and you have uh you know uh whatever other health problems and so we did that as well now at some point we said to cigarette retailers you can't put these on display where people can see them and kids can see them they have to be hidden behind this burlap covering or whatever it is um and so Oh, and I should say this, this I learned in doing my research for this story, but starting next year, the federal government is going to require individual warnings, sorry, warnings on individual cigarettes. And you can laugh at all this and say, oh, this is just nanny statism or whatever. But in 20 years, the cigarette smoking rate in Alberta has dropped by half. Wow. And I don't have the comparable numbers for lung cancer in Alberta, but I'm sure they've dropped considerably as well, or they will over the long term. And that creates... I mean, for one thing, there are people who would have died who will now live longer lives. It reduces a lot of just suffering and misery. And there's a huge savings to our system in terms of healthcare savings and the rest. So um, that's what I would like to see with gambling is not that it be banned, although I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't shed any tears if ELTs disappear tomorrow. But I wouldn't, mm. I'm not calling for a ban. I'm calling for us to treat it through a harm reduction model like we do cigarettes and tobacco. And the last takeaway I'd want to say, and this is really, as I say, it comes back full circle to what drove me to write this in the first place is, you know, we can blame companies, cigarette, or sorry, to, you know, casinos, we can blame these offshore app makers, we can blame our government, we can blame the AGLC for having this conflict of interest or being complicit or indifferent to people suffering or whatever, or stacking the AGLC board with political appointees and uh, partisan people and not with experts. We can, we can be mad about all this, but at some point you have to, as Jim Prentice famously said, look in the mirror. And I had that look in the mirror moment when I went to that, that casino in November and funded my child's education through other people's misery and suffering. I mean, we are part of this. Every Albertan is part of this. Every Albertan is part of pushing gambling and pushing more addiction on people. Uh, whether we realize it or not, I mean, if that is what people take away from my piece is that they themselves are part of this and they have uh, a bigger responsibility to play in holding this government to account, then that would be great. Uh, this is not just a problem of some evil bad people or some some weak addicts. This is a societal problem that we're all part of and all contributing to. Evan. You are doing a hell of a job at Alberta Views, and I'm so grateful that you made yourself available uh, for the conversation today. Uh, Andre, don't go anywhere. But Evan, um, we know you got a bolt. We kept you into overtime. Really appreciate this piece. People can read it in its entirety and subscribe 
to your magazine and support great journalism and storytelling in Alberta at albertaviews.ca. Again, the promo code there, AVRJ, for 50% off a one-year subscription. Thanks, Evan. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate your time. Yeah, we appreciate yours as well. Uh, we'll get back to Andre in just a second. Plus, the live chat is banging today. And, uh, Johnny, I want to talk to you a little bit about this as well. Um, just your personal take on this and whether or not this sure. has yes or no, just right now, yes or no. Have you changed your mind on anything over the last 45 minutes? I don't know if I've changed my mind, but some of those stats, like I had no idea. First of all, third most casinos in North America. I had no idea about that. Blew that blew my mind. Just Behind Vegas and Reno. And then uh, something uh, Evan said that really hit home is it is kind of, and I know we're going to talk about this because we kind of yeah. have different views on it. I mean, I don't mind the gambling commercials during the hockey games, but it is a little strange when you see Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid come on the screen. Because I feel like, maybe not with Wayne, but directly with Connor, I don't know if it's targeting children, but it's definitely going to affect them. When they see Connor doing anything, they're going to think, I should be doing this. No matter what Connor's endorsing, whether yeah. it's BioSteel yeah. or his stick or his skates. Not BioSteel anymore. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. I do, I, it irks me a little when I see Connor McDavid on there because I feel like he's a soft-spoken guy who probably doesn't gamble, doesn't need to gamble. So, you know... I, I, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got some thoughts on that and we'll share it. I, I care more about what real talkers say or have to say about this. First of all, these conversations don't happen without the support of our sponsors. Um, cool bet three, six. No, I'm just joking. Uh, Jeez. But, but, but Kubi renewable energy right now wants you to know that they're going to be at the Edmonton fall home show running from October 13th through the 15th. You can come check out their booth to learn about all things solar. Uh, you can ask questions. You can get answers right away from dedicated professionals with decades of experience in the field, in the renewable energy industry. Uh, if you're interested in installing solar in your home, the solar experts there will give you an overview of the entire process, installation from start to finish, uh, to make sure you feel confident when you make that switch. That's Kubi at the Edmonton Fall Home Show, October 13th through the 15th. You can learn more about them. Get a free quote today at kubienergy.ca. If your renovation project is maybe a little bit bigger, solar might be part of it, but you're thinking about overhauling. It could be an office building. Maybe it's a condo building. You want to convert it to apartments or something else. Maybe you want to get that basement done. You've been saving up. you got the budget ready, and you want to talk to a team of dedicated professionals. We recommend wholeheartedly Complete Care Restoration. Yeah, they've made their name in disaster restoration, fire, flood, and the like, but I'm showing you their website right now, CompleteCareRestoration.ca. You'll see construction and renovation there as well. They built ours. We didn't have a fire or flood here in the studio. We did have some issues they helped us address, like a persistent water leak. But they built this space out with professionalism I'm proud to tell you about. We give them two thumbs up. I guarantee you'll be impressed by what they bring to the table. You can find them online at CompleteCareRestoration.ca. If outdoors, the outside space is more where you're going to be investing come spring, you're going to overhaul your front yard, your backyard, maybe both. Could even be a brand new home that you're building. You know how the builders do it, right? You get like one lame-ass tree in the front yard and maybe some sod. You got a bigger vision. You want it brought to life. We recommend Eden Landscaping. We trusted them with our backyard build, and they did a beautiful job. Johnny, they actually finished it up 
yesterday. Oh, are we so going to get a peek at it soon? We're going to give you a peek pretty Great. soon. Yeah, that's right. They actually finished the final board nailed in yesterday, and we're really excited about it. Mike and his team are experts, not just at implementing the plan, but drafting that plan in the first place. They take your ideas, and then they translate it into something that's really going to serve you well. A yard that will grow as your family grows. You can contact Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Andre Busanius, uh, our guest as well, she, she did have to bolt. We yeah. sure appreciate her. We'll, we'll get her back on the show. I, I don't know that I've ever talked to somebody uh, in such plain and honest language mm-hmm. about what life and recovery has looked like and the, and the like. So I guarantee we'll get Andre back on the show. We should just do a bigger picture panel mm-hmm. on addiction, generally speaking. Yeah, and that uh, was the first time I heard someone kind of relate addiction to uh, to gambling, specifically to filling a hole or zoning out that trauma made in them. And so that was, that was really uh, kind of got emotional there when she was talking about how, you know, after she recovered, she thought she could go back and gamble because she'd done some work on herself. She wasn't depressed anymore. But uh, I think that's the telltale sign with alcoholics too. They think that, you know, they go through trauma, something through their childhood, a breakup, whatever, a relationship issues, financial. And then when they get better, they think now now's the time when I can have a drink casually, when I can do all this. And you kind of just spiral back, right? Yeah. Addiction really is a disease. It's crazy because it, it's with you forever. So I, I'm going to read a whole bunch of comments here. Just, just uh, you know, real quick. Just, I mean, some of your contributions have been fantastic. Kathy says, I've sold those uh, pull tab tickets at bingos, uh, fundraising bingos. And some of them, are, some people are buying 40 pull tab tickets at a time, ripping them open as you're counting them out and then asking for more as you're still counting. Uh, Jillian, welcome back to the chat, Jillian. Uh, we know you're in the classroom and we appreciate you tuning in. She says, I'm super uncomfortable with how many of our kids' sports teams have to make money from bingos. Aren't we funding our sports through people's addictions? I wish Alberta would subsidize sports better. Um, you know, Tony says, my first exposure to gambling was going to Northland's racetrack, betting on the ponies, which, by the way, and I'm going to be honest with you, like, it's so much fun. <laughs> this is me talking, not Tony. But like, you know, I'm going to get to this, my thought on this in just a second. Tony says, I didn't bet a lot, but there were people betting thousands on the horses. And it was a huge eye opener for me. Kirk says, I only play blackjack. I made enough to pay for my Harley Davidson. He says, I always put my winnings in the bank the next day. That's great, Kirk. And congrats on the Harley. Uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, there's no winnings to put in the bank, right? That You know. I mean, you know, Dexta says, I work in retail. I'm amazed at how much people spend on gambling. Lori says, I worked at a casino for my daughter's swim team. And I remember being struck with sadness at how many people were in there alone for hours sitting at a machine, drinking and losing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got others that are saying, Michael says, I remember working a bingo to raise money for my grade 12 grad. Seeing how many bingo cards the average person was playing was eye-opening. Even as an 18-year-old, I felt sick to my stomach. At the time, and and the comments go on. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of comments. People talking about the design of casinos and slot machines. Oh, they're kind of like a maze design. You get in there, (laughs) like there's no windows, there's no clocks. There's you know free drinks, smoking. Mm -hmm. I remember my first time in Vegas. I'll just pop in for one second here. You pop in for longer than that. My very first VLT I played ever in Las Vegas. I sat there for ten minutes. I won three hundred sixty-eight dollars. I cashed it out. I went over. Cashed in my ticket, got the got the money, went back through the casino. It, within an hour, I'd lost it all. But I mean, that's that's what it is. You get that little glimmer of hope, but like she was saying, nobody ever just. <laughs> there's no. I mean, I'm sure there is a small one percent of people who do it professionally and know when to quit. But th- the rest of us have no idea. You get that little tingle of yeah. I won, 
and you think you can turn the three hundred sixty-eight bucks into three thousand, right? Sure. You just keep going. But even then, when you, when it's three thousand, then why couldn't it be six thousand? If it's six, exactly. why couldn't it be ten? You know, Larry says Larry's quoting our guest uh, Andre says, "My last bottom." He says, "Wow, what tremendous honesty." Larry says, "Thanks to all the real talk facts from these guests." He says, "Our society's so fucked because of you know the government's acceptance and our social acceptance of greed and addiction at all costs." That from Larry. I appreciate that comment. I appreciate everybody that's. I don't have time to read these all, but like this is, I mean, this is really endorsing. But a lot of people are, are mentioning, and, and again, love Connor, love Gretzky. A lot of people are kind of focusing in on them, maybe holding them to a bit of a higher standard. I don't know, but but at the same time, and and again, so here's my thought on it. Mm-hmm. Um, been and, waiting. And, you know, so I, so I, when I was, we were off last week, and and you and I were working different events, and I was working, I was hosting something out in Jasper for a couple of days, and my my memories popped up. Sure. And I was reminded that it had been three years since I was fired. It was like my fire anniversary, which was like front page news, quite an uncomfortable time in my life. And so I just happened to be out for dinner, and I was having an old fashioned. I took a quick picture and I posted it, and I said, I said, you know, three years ago today I was fired. Uh, I said something like, "Cheers to the temporarily." uncomfortable moments that bring out the best in us or something like that. Had I not been fired, real talk wouldn't be here basically is the point. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, congratulations, way to go. You're killing it. Great, 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 great. And then, and then there was a comment from somebody that said, and I'm, and I'm not quoting directly. I don't have it in front of me, but somebody basically said, it's difficult to see you uh, glorifying drinking. Um, you know, people, some people struggle with alcohol. Um, and and to, I'll be honest with you, like real, real, real talk my initial inclination privately in my own brain is like, come on, mm-hmm. give me a break. I'm rolling my eyes a little bit. And then I read the second part of the comment, which is like, my sister had a difficult time with drinking, couldn't control her drinking, ultimately lost her life due to drinking. So that just like hits me, right? So I respond to this person and I said, I appreciate you sharing and I'm sorry for your loss. She then follows up and sends me, I think it was a private message. She said, thank you for your compassion. She said, when my sister died from alcohol, that sent this person, the commenter, into their own alcohol-related tailspin, which they barely survived. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there for a second going, this person is 100% right. Like, for the average person, alcohol is part, I don't, you know, socially, alcohol is part of almost everything. Oh, I know there's a lot of people everywhere. right now doing Sober October or October or whatever you want to call it. And you're realizing, like as you've done, I'm not doing it this year. I should, maybe. Uh, I've done it past years. You realize as you're doing it how alcohol is woven into almost everything. Mm -hmm. So for somebody that's able to navigate that, that's able to have a glass of wine or an old-fashioned at dinner and then shut it down, uh, you know, don't drink at all and drive or drink one and drive or drink two and take an Uber or walk. Their life is fine. They're not getting DUIs. They're not lying to their family. They're not drinking at work. They're not, you know, whatever. They're not drinking around the kids then it's no problem. You don't see it that. You don't see it as a problem. Mm-hmm. So for me with gambling, I'll be honest, I, re- I really enjoy it. Like, mm-hmm. I really do. I love playing poker. I love playing blackjack. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I, I don't get slots. That's fine. I love the, the camaraderie around a roulette table. I love putting 20 bucks on the game. I love hockey pools. I love all that kind of stuff. I, I believe there was a comment. It was Justin that said something about personal responsibility. Uh, his comment was made out of compassion, but he said it is a bit of a double-edged sword. I don't think, I mean, Evan, even Andre today said they're not they're not zealots against gambling. They're not looking to get casinos shut down. Mm-hmm. So for me, the, 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 the factor is or what we wrestle with is, I don't know if we need the third most casinos of any jurisdiction in North America. That, that blew my mind. But I also think that, like, do we also want nanny state where, like, 
I mean, you know, living in Utah, like you can't buy booze anywhere. Yeah. Or do we do we want cigarettes outlawed? Or maybe the answer is yes on yeah. that one. I don't know. But I couldn't believe that's that. Like Atlantic City, Texas, we have more. But this, like, ne- yeah, Nevada. Like, but but this is but this is what I wrestle with. Is like, is just because something's not a problem for me, doesn't mean it's not a problem for everybody. Mm. But we also, and and this is the part that might make some people uncomfortable or pissed off, just because some people can't handle something doesn't mean that we don't allow other people access to it and you may that may come across as cold-hearted or insensitive or or sort of bottom line driven but i also don't know what the answer is like are we going to say because some people can't control wagering they can't control their betting their their gambling addicts that nobody should be able to put 20 or 50 or 100 or 1,000 bucks on whether or not the, the Edmonton Oilers are going to win the Stanley Cup next year? No, I don't think that. But, but, but man, there's, there's no, I, other than a little warning when you, get, you open an, a betting app or, you know, like there's no warnings in casinos. There's nothing when you walk in saying, <laughs> you know, there's no one at the front door saying, hey, you could lose your life savings in here. You could ruin your entire life within a few hours. I loved uh, Andre's comment, how she said, there's no poker breath. You know what I mean? There's no telltale signs. That was such a good comment. There's no way for your family to know until somebody comes and repossesses the car or the house gets foreclosed on or the bank statement comes and the savings have been drained. It's it's so much more dangerous, I think. And again, I'm someone who gambles occasionally. I don't do it very often at all. Uh, But And I'm not against gambling per se, but... It's so much more dangerous. There's the, he can't smell the smoke on their breath. He can't, you know, people still show up for work the next day. Maybe they're tired because they've been at the, at the casino all night. But they, they, there's no way to tell. You're like she said, you're next to your grandmother, gambling your life savings away. So, but mm. let's focus because I think we got away from what I wanted to ask you about directly. Is the gambling commercials? How much have I lost on gambling? No, the gambling <laughs> commercials. Like, and and I, I think we can relate. Like Ryan Reynolds, when you see Ryan Reynolds selling his gin on TV, you don't think, oh, he's a bad guy, right? But some, I got some kind of feeling when I started seeing because you watch a hockey game with your kids, right? And you know mm-hmm. he's got the jersey on, and there's McDavid, and then there he is on a Zamboni talking about, you know betting on the game that's the little i got a little feeling in me where i was like and i'm not against gambling yeah so you were gonna tell your opinion on well i was just i was i was gonna ask the i was gonna ask the difference between like wayne gretzky uh isn't it funny how we like revere him in canada to the point where you almost feel like i'm gonna get struck by lightning when i'm taught when i'm questioning wayne gretzky but i I adore wayne gretzky couldn't stand him by the way growing up because i grew up as a flames (laughs) fan right so i couldn't stand but i had this quiet i had to acknowledge he was a great player but the greatest of all time um so so if wayne gretzky were to like right now so you you mentioned ryan reynolds and aviation gin Mm -hmm. or what about dan Aykroyd and crystal skull vodka or what about like Ryan Jesperson partnering with, you know, like Woody Creek Distillery or or, or all these different maple bourbons that we've released. I did a beer with Sea Change. Like, I'm not putting myself up with Gretz. Uh, But I'm just saying, like, if a celebrity... Now, it would be different, probably, this day, I mean, cigarettes can't advertise, but, like, if Connor McDavid was endorsing smoking, we would be like, what the hell? But on the gambling front, people treat it a little bit differently. Uh, 
do athletes, I mean, you know, consider the moral implications of endorsements. We talked about this in an entirely different context, but also the same. Mm-hmm. All of the golfers that were defecting to the live tour. Sure. For, and, and you're going to blame a guy. You're going to blame, honestly, you're going to blame a guy, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, whoever else. For, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, all these big golfers, these big names for taking a quarter billion dollar check for their family to go golf. Because, but, mm-hmm. but, the, but the money's coming from the Saudis. And then even then, if you are going to crack on those athletes for taking that money from the Saudis, but we're doing business with the Saudis, right? Canada is selling armored vehicles to the Saudis, you know, wh- wh- where's the outrage on that? So I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a bigger it's a bigger picture thing like. Would it bother you if, if Connor, Wayne Gretzky's doing it all? I mean, he's he's got his whiskey. He's got his wine. MGM. Right? MGM. He's got the gambling. You know, And mm-hmm. then there was a comment in here as well. I wish I could credit. I don't have it in front of me anymore. But somebody said even with, with Gretzky's wife's gambling woes, it's even weirder to see him doing that. Number one, you're right. It is you, a little strange. You can Google Rick Tockett and Janet Gretzky, Janet Jones Gretzky, and, and there, there was that investigation. They were investigated for this gambling ring. Number one, what person, what common sense person believes that Wayne had nothing to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> that was the league protecting its greatest player ever. That's what that was. You, you, you think Janet Gretzky and Rick Tockett were doing it, and Wayne was just like... Behind out, Wayne's back. Just It was behind <laughs> Wayne's back. He was just like out fishing, and w- w- Janet and Rick were running the gambling ring. Number one, ridiculous. But number two, you look at how stigma has changed. Mm-hmm. I don't think it makes sense to drag Pete Rose into this and betting on baseball, and you know that's a whole different thing. He's betting on his own games and, and all that kind of stuff. But like the 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 social license around gambling and sport has dramatically changed. It was a scandal when Janet Gretzky and Rick Tockett were implicated in that. Huge, and now nobody Huge. remembers. Even and even recently cares. with Evander Rick Kane, a successful coach. Evander Kane was you know uh, accused of, of betting on his own games and throwing them and stuff. And I think uh, I don't know that that's a weird one too because with Evander, and again it, he wasn't convicted of anything really, but. Uh, you know, he had some gambling woes. And then when he came to Edmonton, I did an event at River Cree and he showed up there. So I had seen him on the news saying, you know, I'm trying to rehabilitate. I'm trying not to do this. I'm trying not to gamble. And then I saw him in a casino and I was like, this isn't a place for a recovering gambler. Fair but, enough. Yeah. Um, Tracy says the only good thing about the McDavid and Gretzky commercials is it's just should it's not overly obvious to kids that it's about gambling. Maybe not. Tony says uh, Phil Mickelson is a well-known gambler. He did the the live tour to pay off his debts. Now I don't know if that's true, Tony, or not. But but did you see what Mickelson uh, posted on his Instagram just a couple of weeks ago? No, this was interesting. So this is you know Phil Mickelson, one of the you know the world's great golfers, bit of a prick, but still a great golfer. Uh, he says most of you will enjoy this as the NFL season's kicking off. Uh, most of you will enjoy this, and this is, keep in mind this was right after a story had broken, uh, a book release that talked about Mickelson's gambling, talked about the fact that this guy has placed more than three hundred million dollars, I think off the top of my head, more than three hundred million dollars in wagers over the course of his his career. Uh, Mickelson says most of you will enjoy this football season with moderation while having a lot of fun and entertainment. The fantasy leagues will provide banner amongst friends, and money won or lost betting won't affect you. Phil says, I won't be betting this year because I crossed the line of moderation and into addiction, which isn't fun at all. He says, the money wasn't ever the issue since our financial security has never been threatened. That's a nice way to say we're rich. He says, but I was so distracted, I wasn't able to be present with the ones that I love, and I caused a lot of harm. He goes on to say, 
the lack of presence has been so hurtful. You're here, but you're not with us is something I've been told throughout my addiction. There he uses the word, right? It's affected those I care about in ways I wasn't aware or couldn't fully understand. It's like a hurricane is going on inside and I'm isolated in a shelter, oblivious to what was happening. When I came out, there was so much damage to clean up that I just wanted to go back inside and not deal with it. And then he goes on to say, if you ever cross the line of moderation and enter into addiction, hopefully you won't confuse your enablers and friends like I did. Hopefully you won't have to deal with these difficult moments publicly so others can profit off you like I have. He's referencing the book. He says, but hopefully you'll have a strong and supportive partner, his wife Amy, who's willing to help you through being your worst self and through your worst moments like I have in Amy. She's loved me, supported me through my darkest and most difficult times. I couldn't have gotten through this without her. He says, because of her love, support, and commitment, I'm back on track to being the person I want to be. That was from Phil Mickelson just a couple of weeks ago. Ooh. So interesting post. Maybe written by a PR firm. I don't mean to be a cynic, but still, he didn't. <laughs> Possibly AI. Uh, yeah, <laughs> might, might have been written by ChatGPT. But he doesn't. But he didn't have to put that out there, but he did. He chose to. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a good thing. Um, I love this from Tara Lynn. Uh, I don't love it, but she, she's wrestling with this right now. She's having a difficult time right now because she says in our chat she's supposed to go work a charity event tonight. Uh, at a casino. She says, I'm volunteering overnight tonight for a casino. I don't go to casinos. I don't go to bingos, but I do volunteer. We're not a high tax community league, so the money that we raise is needed. And there's parents, you're listening to this, and you know, you know these, these casino nights that you work, it's not unusual for them fifty dollars to $100,000 for your elementary school. And like, what's your plan if you don't have some parent to come in? I mean, you hear the odd story of a family that decides to pay for the playground or pay for the you know, the van for the daycare or whatever. Uh, But that's not the case all the time. We know that this story will resonate with many of you and we would love to hear from you. And if you're, if you're, you know, feeling like you'd like to share your personal story, you can do so either uh, publicly use your name or in confidence and remain anonymous Uh, by sending us an email. We're easy to find. I want you to be part of that conversation. You can go to the connect link on our website uh, or just email directly to talk at ryanjesperson.com and find us on all or most the social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at RealTalkRJ. Every Wednesday, uh, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have an opportunity to, to get outside, to head out to the mountains, to reflect on My Jasper Memories, proudly presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And we want to put the Jasper Dark Sky Festival on your radar right now because it's kicking off the weekend after next. It's coming up October 13th. So here are three standout events that are going to be happening the first weekend of the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. There's Science for Lunch with Janine Holowacek. Uh, You can learn tips and tricks for chasing and capturing the northern lights from an avid aurora chaser and an astrophotographer. How cool is that as a job title, an astrophotographer? Um, uh, Janine's been capturing the beauty of the night sky across the prairies for coming up on 10 years, and she's going to teach you how to do it. The session also includes lunch and a bunch of visual examples of why the Canadian prairies are one of the best places on earth to view the wonders of the night. And then, of course, there is Symphony Under the Stars. Uh, Cozy up with a blanket and witness the magic of the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra strings. The music feels amplified by the natural amphitheater effect of the Rocky Mountains and thousands of twinkling stars above. And then you won't want to miss Science for Brunch with Marlos Mikado. Uh, Dr. Mikado will dig into artificial intelligence and looking at how AI algorithms are helping guide super pressure balloons through the stratosphere. 
Uh, similar to space, but it's got its own tangle of factors in the stratosphere. So we're going to figure out more about weather monitoring and aerial photography, telecommunications, really neat stuff. Uh, you can find out how there may be long-duration space missions made possible without engines or fuel. <laughs> That's all coming up as part of the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. You can get tickets for these events and many more by visiting them online. And it's super easy to find the website, jasperdarksky.travel. We'll have it in the show notes. My Jasper Memories is proudly presented every week on Real Talk, typically on Wednesdays, today on a Thursday, by our friends at Tourism Jasper. This is one of the longest shows we've done in a long time, and I'm grateful for yeah, it. Yeah, it has gone into overtime. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, talk radio and yours and my career in radio, and we used to be held to such stringent times. You had to be oh, out. Yeah. The conversation was over at this point. Hit the post. But sometimes you got to have that further conversation. you got to have that real talk, and we're so grateful that everybody's been here participating in that. We appreciate you. Now, here's the call to action as we wrap for the day. Did you like what you heard? Do you feel inspired? Then why haven't you hit like on YouTube yet? Why haven't you rated and reviewed our podcast? I'm saying this with a smile on my face. You're not really in trouble, but it would mean a lot to us if you rated that podcast and told your friends about it. You can subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcast. Of course, you can find us here live or later every weekday morning on YouTube. And as extra special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Check your email inboxes. There's a special video in there for you with an exclusive offer. We want to send you a gift on us to show our appreciation for what you do for us every single month as a Real Talk patron. Make it a great day, friends, and we'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.